The grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, Lord, and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So we are in kind of full swing of kind of Christmas preparations. Maybe at Timothy, our beginning of Christmas celebration maybe begins yesterday with our, our Christmas market and uh, a great uh, you know, outreach into our community and connection with our neighbors. Maybe you've had already some Christmas parties for work. Um, you've already had some get-togethers. Maybe you've had some uh, family uh, Christmas parties already that... You know, trying to gather family from around the, the country to come together and you can be with one another now. Uh, getting ready for uh, Christmas. Uh, Christmas can be this time where uh, that family, even if we've had uh, problems throughout the year, uh, even if we've had disagreements and, and troubles and discord, at least for a night, at least for a night, maybe we can get through it, eat a meal, and then go back home. Put it away for the night to have peace. This is uh, the second week of Advent. Uh, we light the candle of peace. Peace is a laudable goal. Uh, from the founding of uh, America, there has been a movement with, uh, within the government and with other kind of community organizations want to have a Department of Peace. That was at the beginning, was to have this Department of Peace that would counter the Department of War. That there would be some force within the government to try to have a a lasting peace in the country. And that has not happened. Has not happened. So what do we do? What do we do? Uh, So longing for peace, we have uh, marches for peace. But uh, war wages on. We are in two decades of one continuous war. Uh, We want peace in our neighborhoods, and so we have community interventions, but still there are riots and unrest. We want peace in our home. We try to have a perfect night for our families, uh, to put aside differences just for the night, but still we fight. As individuals, we we try to have peace just for our own soul, to have one quiet night. But we have dark nights of the soul that keep us awake. We try all that we can do to make it go away, but it's still there, this conflict. We chase after peace, long for it, but we can't seem to get a hold of it. Not as a nation, not as a community, not as families, not as individuals. The problem. You know, what's the problem? The problem maybe is that we are expecting the wrong thing. Often when we think of peace, I know when I think of peace, normally what comes to my mind is that there is no conflict. I just, you know, I think at home, I just, it's what peace is, stop fighting, right? Stop beating up on each other, right? Just, that's, that's my low expectation, my low threshold for what peace is, is that we're just not fighting, They're just not fighting with one another. So we often think that peace is the absence of something. It's the absence of conflict, not the presence of something else. And so we think, well, if I can just stop every war, then the world will have peace. Or at least if we can bring the military home, then that means that we'll have peace. If uh, that we have, you know, at least I can have one night of of restful sleep, then I know I've had peace in my own soul. 
But God's peace is much different than that. God's peace is not the absence of something. It is the presence of something. And God provides us with an ability to have peace in any situation, no matter what is happening. And the picture of God's peace is this. Isaiah gives it to us that the wolf shall lie with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatty calf together, the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put their hand in the adder's den. You know, a world in which a wolf and a lamb lie down together seems to operate by a different kind of rules than the ones that we live in today. It seems so different that God uh, in the Psalms even redefines what a warrior is, what a battle would be like. It turn, he turns the image on its head when God declares that he will make wars cease to the ends of the earth, that he will break the bow and shatter the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. And he goes on and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. You see, here we see that God is giving us this picture of what a divine warrior is who declares war on war. That God is already at work to scatter the nations who delight in war. And it is by doing this that God shows who he is. It's by doing this that God reveals that he is this world's real king. And it's by doing this that he is exalted above every other nation, every other conflict, any other thing, because he brings peace. He brings it. God's peace is holistic. Uh, the word there, shalom, right? You know, uh, Hebrew word. But that word, it, it kind of means like wholeness. And it means um, something that pervades just kind of the entirety of your life. That it's not this momentary kind of thing. It's something that comes into your life no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. So you can have peace of God. Even in the midst of a war, even when bullets are flying around your head, you can have peace of God. You can have the peace of God even if there's turmoil in your family, even if your kids don't want to talk to you today. You can have peace, even if you don't want to talk to your kids. <laughs> you can have peace. You can have peace even if your neighborhood is not so great and you don't feel very safe. You can have peace in your own dark night of the soul. And as God's people, you are called to live this peace out. Peace as you advance his kingdom right here and now, as you work against all those things that hamper God's peace. Now the thing is, is that we don't bring it. You don't get to bring God's peace. You really don't do it. It doesn't start with your actions against other people or even towards yourself. Having God's peace doesn't start with just, oh, I've got to have peace with me and make sure that I'm okay with me. God's peace begins with finding it, his wholeness, his rightness with God. And like all good things, this good thing comes to us only through Jesus. Jesus came to restore to you God's peace, and you get it by submitting to his peace. And that requires that we begin to see peace the way that God sees it. As Jesus, he came to this world to bind things together and not tear them apart. 
And so we should, you know, when we think that if I kill my next enemy, then I get peace. Or if I yell at my family, then it'll all solve all my problems. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Or if I think I shout down my opposition at, you know, some a school board meeting, well, now I've got peace because I got my way. <laughs> right? Or at some like, church council meeting or voters meeting, right? That I'll have peace as long as no one fights with me and I get my way. Or if I belittle my family for having opinions that are different than my own, and then I will put them right. That does not bring peace. It might bring a moment where we're not fighting, but it is not peace. But when we submit to Jesus, we give up our own need to sow discord and conflict. Instead, we sow his peace. And as we worship this peaceful Jesus, not as some fighter with a sword drawn, ready to make someone bleed, we have the real Jesus, who out of love chooses to die for his enemies, rather than using his power against them. And God commands us then to do the same. Jesus says that loving our enemies is that sign that you are a child of God. To love our enemies as Jesus commands requires that we will crucify our own fallen impulse to resort to violence and conflict and discord. Jesus goes to battle against these things and ultimately he reigns by shedding his own blood as a slain lamb with a commitment to shed his own blood for you and for me. You and I, we are created for love, but we are also created to fight. We are to fight, fight a war, and we cannot love the way we're supposed to love unless we learn to fight the things that we're supposed to fight. Our willingness to stand guard against Satan and all those things that draw us down into the darkness is are central to our call as kingdom people. Yet we do have this fighter instinct in us, and that's not necessarily all bad, as long as we know where to direct it, to direct the fight, to keep it pointed in the right direction. St. Paul tells us, Ephesians 6, that our, our battle, our war is not with flesh and blood, it's against the powers and the kingdoms and the principalities. Those things that are all against God's will. So you might think about it this way. If you go to a Christmas dinner, and it's got flesh and blood, it's living and talking to you, it's not your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're someone that you're supposed to fight for on their behalf. The, the sign that, that Jesus is really our king is that we will refuse to fight against them and to bring more discord into that situation. You know, the prophet continues, he says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for the people. And of him the nations shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. He's talking about a peace. A peace that's even amidst conflict. It's a peace that takes the fight to where it belongs. Not against other people, but on their behalf. And our commitment to be like Jesus and to bleed for others instead of fighting against them. See, that's the sign. You, know, you want a sign that Jesus is real? Is do that. And it will be glorious. 
So maybe to end, maybe just three things that you can do as you get ready for Christmas and for all the things that come along with that. Maybe three things that might be able to help us kind of keep the fight in the right direction and to be able to receive the peace of Christ. The first is embrace conflict. To embrace it. It happens. It's real. <laughs> okay. To, to, see, to deny that there is conflict gives it more power. Okay? Uh, if you bury it and you try to hide it, and you bury that anger, it just lets it grow and, 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 and fester, and it becomes so ugly. All right, so we've been, uh, you know, we, just, we can all experience that in our life. So don't pretend that it's not there. You know, to uncover it, to be truthful. Address it quickly and don't conceal it. You see, we get angry when something that we value gets devalued. So, you know, I've been here a year. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, I, know, I probably, I probably have to you. Devalued something that you valued. That just, just happens, okay? And you probably have devalued things that I value. And we do it definitely with, with family as well. And when we do that, you know, what we do is we get angry because you just said something that matters to me doesn't matter to you. And see, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay as long as we can address that in a healthy way. And to not carry it around. The strength in our relationship with one another, we will address those conflicts. Right? Embrace it. Inhale it in a way that honors the other person's humanity as well as your own. And this will help us live in the peace of Christ to have a wholeness. Imagine how that might transform your family's Christmas parties. That before you even go, you've prayed. You've prayed that, you know, that new boyfriend <laughs> uh, that you don't really like. You've prayed about it. You've addressed that conflict. You've prayed about it. Right? You've addressed it with one another. So first... Don't hide the conflict. The second thing is to acknowledge that there are things at work in our lives that are trying to tear us down, trying to divide us, that that are trying to destroy the body of Christ. And that is really hard to remember when you're in the midst of a conflict, when you're in the midst of a fight. It's really hard because our brain kind of shuts down. So it's important to stay aware and prepare ahead of time what what are you going to do when you get there. So at a work party or a family party, right, uh, pray, pray with that person ahead of time uh, that you're going to remember in the midst of this situation, we're going to remember who we are, okay? And we're going to remember that we're not enemies, that we might have a disagreement, but you're not my enemy. So it's important to remember that there are these things that are out there trying to kill and destroy the unity of believers, as probably can be most easily seen in our political discussions, so, you know, at, with your kids, right, pray about that the politics of your son is not going to make you so angry that you can't be at peace with her or him. Put it aside, even. Put that aside. Don't have to bring it up just to have your own way, to have your own right opinion be heard. Right? See that those things are not being used. They're not being used to destroy you and tear us down and tear us apart. And the last thing I suggest that we could do, maybe probably the most important, maybe the only important thing to say today is remember who you are. 
Stay connected to the true source of life. That all of your sense of worth and all of your identity and all of, all of your significance and all of your value is not in the opinions that you hold or the traditions that you do. It only comes from Jesus. And when we get all of our identity and sense of wealth uh, and, and value and purpose and we get that only from Jesus, then you have peace. You have peace. You get this value and worth. You get that because of what Jesus has spoken to you from the cross. The cross is our perfect picture of who God is. It's the perfect picture of what God thinks about you. On the cross, you see that God loves you infinitely. And he thinks you are valuable infinitely. Not because you have the right ideas or do the right things. But because of who you are who he has made you to be. And so our ability then to love other people and to stay at peace with them while we're in the midst of conflict with them, it always get overturned if our identity is wrapped up within us being right or me getting respect or having things done my way or your way or having my value affirmed by someone else or any number of idols that I know I carry around with me. If our identity is at stake, then loving will always take a back seat. But talking about issues is never really just about the issues. There's always so much more stuff that we bring along with it to every interaction that we come to. And the enemy is always going to use these things to get a foothold and to create division and tear us apart. And so whatever else your conflict within a family, within a church, within your neighborhood, wherever it might be, your work, Always remember that at all costs, at all costs, that it's not about your identity. It's not about your identity because that has been sealed with Christ. And that identity in Christ Jesus, you will have a real peace, a real wholeness. So that you could lie down like a lamb with a lion. Amen.